Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So at this point, we would say to Boaz, Boaz, what are you doing? You just presented to this man this incredibly good deal. He's going to jump on it. What are you doing? Which is exactly what we see him doing when he gives his reply at the end of verse four. And he said, I will redeem it. He jumps on it. I will redeem it. I mean, this was Boaz's plan because what Boaz has done is to draw out the greed of this kinsman. And so the design of the laws of property was not for self-enrichment. That was never God's design for self-enrichment. It was always service. It was always ministry. You keep the property in the name of the family of the deceased. But this kinsman, he has no interest in serving. He has no interest in ministering so the families can keep their property and remain in the the name of the deceased. This kinsman is only thinking of himself and what a great deal this is going to be for himself. So Boaz, by saying, let me uncover your ears so that I can tell you the secret, Boaz has played right into this man's interest for self-enrichment. It's like Boaz is fishing, you know, and he's moving the bait along to allure the fish. And then this fish, you know, responds to us when he says, I will redeem it. He jumps on it. Okay, so now that Boaz has drawn out this man's hunger to be enriched, self-enrichment, now Boaz has drawn out this man's greed. It's come up to the surface now, and this kinsman is thinking that, boy, this is too good to be true. And Boaz drops this bombshell with, oh, by the way, you know, it's in verse five, oh, by the way. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now Boaz says, oh, by the way, when you buy this field, you have to also marry Ruth. You have to marry up Ruth to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. Now, when you look at what Boaz says, Boaz is just, this is masterful. He's just put four painful barbs (laughs) that he's jabbed this man with. And the first painful barb that Boaz here has jabbed the man with, the kinsman with, is when he said, what day thou buyest the field? See here, Boaz is saying, I know you want to buy the field, but let me just tell you, on the very day that you buy it, you have to marry Ruth on that day. (laughs) Because she goes along with the field, by the way. And you know that Naomi, she's too old to marry. And Eli Melech's sons, they didn't have any children. And so Ruth is the closest childbearing relative to Eli Melech to raise up seed for Eli Melech. So, you know, have a great life married to Ruth. (laughs) Oh, by the way, I promise I'll attend the wedding. (laughs) I'll throw rice. And so we can just picture the kinsman there. He's cringing at the thought of marrying Ruth on the very day that he buys the field. I mean, men just love being forced into a marriage. Yeah. (laughs) And let me just point out something here. By the way, the books in the Bible are all written by men. And if there was a woman that was pretty, the Bible is quick to point that out. 
<laughs> so, you know, Sarah, uh, Genesis 12, 14, it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, very beautiful. Rebecca pointed out to be pretty in Genesis 24, 16. The damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin neither any man known her. Fair to look upon, that means she was not an eyesore. <laughs> That's what it means. Okay. Rachel, Rachel was pointed out in Genesis 29, 17. Rachel was beautiful and well-favored, and the Bible points out when a woman is particularly pretty. Now, what's interesting, there is no mention that Ruth was particularly beautiful. But Boaz loved Ruth and wanted to marry her. And it was not because Ruth was outwardly beautiful, otherwise it would have been pointed out. But Boaz valued an inner beauty in Ruth. And Boaz said what that beauty was in verse 11 of chapter 3, Ruth 3.11. Now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So Boaz saw what everybody else saw in Ruth, a virtuous woman. He saw a virtue in her, and he said, that's a valued treasure. He saw that virtue like Proverbs states it in Proverbs 12.4. Proverbs 12.4 says, a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 31.10, Proverbs 31.10 says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Proverbs 31.30, Proverbs 31.30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be much praised. The second painful barb that Boaz jabbed into this kinsman was when Boaz said in verse five, when he said, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess. (laughs) When Boaz referred to Ruth, he didn't say Ruth, he said Ruth the Moabitess, you know. Boaz was telling the kinsman that he wouldn't just be marrying Ruth, he'd be married to Ruth the Moabitess. And the Moabites were hated by the Jewish people. So Boaz was telling the kinsman, oh, congratulations, you're going to have a Moabitess wife as part of your family. And we could just picture the kinsman, you know, cringing again, he's thought of being, oh, no, being married to a Moabitess that's not particularly beautiful even. Anyway, then the third barb, the third painful barb that Boaz jabbed into this grinsman was when he said in verse 5, the Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. That's a pointed way to introduce a woman by calling, uh, by calling her the wife of the dead. <laughs> it's like, uh, mm. That's like Boaz saying, you know, well, here's your new bride. She's the wife of the dead. I mean, her last husband died. Good luck, pal. <laughs> Hope you make it. All right? And so we can just picture the kinsman, he's cringing with the thought of being married to the wife of the dead. And then the fourth painful barb that Boaz jabs in the kinsman is when he says in verse 5, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So what Boaz is here saying, is says, congratulations, you will be building up both the name and the inheritance of the dead. You will now be spending your time and your resources building up the estate and name of the deceased, not for you. Now, this was the most painful barb of all that the kinsman, he really felt this because he thought, well, I was going to add to my name. I thought it was going to add to my name. I thought it was going to add to my property. I don't want to be a servant building up another dead man's name and property. 
And we can just picture this kinsman here. He's cringing again with the thought of, oh, what have I done? Building up the name and property of another man. Oh, Boaz is a master negotiator. He should have written the book, The Art of the Deal. Anyway, this was the barb that he responded to the most when he backed out of the deal. And after this kinsman realized that by buying this field, he's going to be obligated to marry the widow and he's going to spend his time and his resources building up the family in the name of a deceased person. And then all that he's built up, including the land, would transfer to the children he had with the widow who wouldn't even carry his name. He backs out of the deal. In verse 6, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right for thyself. I cannot redeem it. I mean, the kinsman was really scared because at the end of verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. At the end of verse 4, he makes a commitment. I will redeem it. And once he's committed to the land, he's in the presence of all these 10 witnesses, these 10 elders. And now he's really nervous. And so he wants to back out. And so he says twice in verse 6, I cannot redeem it. I cannot redeem it. I know what this is like. Because when you place an order on Amazon, they give you a few minutes <laughs> right afterward to change your mind and cancel it with no consequences. Trust me, I'm an expert on this. So this kinsman, he jumps in and immediately cancels his order for the land. And the reason he gives in verse 6 is, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. And when he says, I cannot redeem it for myself, it's very clear he's only thinking about himself not for anyone else. See, he's described, this kinsman is described in Isaiah 56, 11, Isaiah 56, 11, yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that can never understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain, from his quarter. And Philippians 2, 4 warns against this when it says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What did we just sing? Help somebody today. See, Philippians 2.21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.24, 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth. And then in Matthew 16.24, Matthew 16.24, the Lord said, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I mean, we don't have these laws today of building up another person's name and wealth like they did in Israel. But there is a way in which we can build up another person's name and wealth. And it's described for us, which applies to us today, in 1 Corinthians 10.33. 1 Corinthians 10.33 says, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved, that they may be saved. When we seek for a lost person to be saved from their sins, we are trying to build up their name in heaven because there's no greater reputation for a name in heaven than for that name to be written in the Lamb's book of life, which happens when a person is saved from their sins. As it says in Revelation 21:27, Revelation 21:27 says, they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And Revelation 20:15 talks about what happens if a person's not written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 20:15 says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What a wonderful title for the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And when you and I work for a person to be saved, 
We're working for that person's name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing is more self-denying, more service to another person than to work for them to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And what we see in this kinsman is that he's characterized by the last days. He doesn't think of anybody else but himself. In the last days, it says in 2 Timothy 3.1, 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, covetous. Luke 12, 15 says, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, the kid's been, he's very nervous right now. He might be stuck from what he's committed to. He might be stuck with buying the land and building up a family and inheritance of the deceased. So he turns to Boaz and says to him in verse 6, Redeem thou my right for thyself. I mean, this kinsman is really pushing away this opportunity to serve others. Now, we've had a chance to look at what happened in this scene here. Now it's time for us to just sort of take a step back and just have a look at all the dynamics that went into this negotiation, how the kinsman first wanted the land, then he didn't want the land, and we step back, and we're going to look at the kinsman, we're going to look at, at Boaz, what Boaz did, and first thing we want to do is we want to look at the wisdom of Boaz. There's a particular wisdom of Boaz here, and it's found in verse 4, when he said, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. Here was Boaz. He really wanted to marry Ruth, and yet he's saying to the kinsman, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. Boaz knew that Ruth was included in the land. I mean, just imagine how hard this was for Boaz to be offering up to this other man what he so much wanted, which was to marry Ruth, which went along with the land. I mean, Boaz has tried his best with these four barbs out there with the offer, and he, he, but he really wasn't sure that the other man might take him up. The other man might say, ah, yeah, I understand all that. You know what? I really want this land to enjoy in my lifetime. I don't care about the inheritance that I'm going to leave behind. That's a great land. I can really enjoy it in my lifetime. The deal is that the Ruth goes along with the land. Okay, I still want the land. I've watched Ruth work. You know what? She's a hard worker. I can use her. He might have said that. Boaz wasn't sure. Boaz was not sure this kinsman might not have taken the land with Ruth, with the land. And what's so beautiful about Boaz is when he says in verse 4, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. What we see in Boaz is his willingness to let Ruth go if that's God's will. Boaz worked hard to the point that where he was now to, point, to bring out in this offer here, and he thought, you know, I brought out the four barbs, but... He did not overreach. He did not overmanipulate the situation. He didn't say something like, you know, Ruth, um, I don't know, I saw something. She may have the early stages of leprosy. I don't know. I don't know, but I just see something. Ah. You know, he, he didn't say, you know, Ruth and I, we, we really love each other. And, you know, if you marry Ruth, you know, you know, for all the rest of her life, she's going to be thinking about me and she's going to be longing for me and, that's not a good marriage for you, pal. He didn't do that. He didn't go that because deep down in his heart, Boaz had a supreme desire for the will of God. And Boaz wanted the will of God more than he wanted Ruth. 
doesn't. So when he says in verse four, if thou redeem it, redeem it, Boaz is saying there, I'm going to let God be God, and I'm going to let God make this decision. Because when Boaz looked at this kinsman who stood as an obstacle between him and Ruth, Boaz thought to himself, Proverbs 21.1, Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king, the, the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. So when Boaz looked at the heart of the kinsman, he see, I see rivers of water. I see rivers of water. The Lord turns wherever the Lord wants to turn it. And that's how Boaz got this heart of peace. That's how he got his, his assurance. That's how he got this peace. And in this sense, Boaz joined Ruth in being at peace and sitting down. I mean, Ruth was sitting down at home with Naomi. And, and now Boaz is taking Naomi's advice. In verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18, sit, thou, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. Bo, Ruth had committed her future to the Lord and was sitting still and waiting to see how the Lord would make the matter fall. And that when Boaz said to the, the kinsmen in verse 4, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it, then Boaz is sitting still, like Ruth, and waiting to see how the matter will fall. So what we see in Boaz in verse 4, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it, is a great lesson for us in life, when we're in a tense situation and we really want something to go our way, we need to follow the example of Boaz. Work hard to have it go our way. We see Boaz with his four barbs, but always be truthful, always be honest, always be fair, which is what we see Boaz doing in verse four. And we need to always give the Lord a way to say no. And that's what we see Boaz doing when he said in verse 4, if thou will redeem it, redeem it. And just think of how much Boaz was giving the Lord a chance when he, to say no when the kinsman said at the end of verse, verse 4. He didn't know what he was going to say, but he said, you know, because at the end of verse 4, he said, I will redeem it. And Boaz says, okay. And this shows us how important it is when we really want something, have done all that we can get, do to get it, to step back and give God the opening to say no. Because with how much Boaz loved Ruth, and wanted Ruth, how could Boaz have given this man an opportunity for him to take Ruth? Boaz did it by believing the truth in Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411 says, For the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold to, from them that walk uprightly. If Ruth was a good thing for Boaz, and Boaz believed that the Lord would not withhold Ruth from Boaz. Matthew 6.33, Matthew 6.33, the Lord Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. As Boaz gave himself to seek first the kingdom of God, Boaz trusted that everything that God would give to Boaz, everything that he needed in life would be given to him. But in order for Boaz and us to be able to do this, we need not to have, we need to not have a tight grip on the things of the world. Our grasp has just got to be just a little bit light where we give God the option to say, no, that's good for you, that's good for me. Now, we've been looking at these four verses, which is a very important time of history. From eternity's point of view, this is very important. In these four verses here, we're looking at the decision between two men that will determine who will be the great-grandfather of Israel's greatest king, King David. They didn't know it. 
And in the decision of these two men, we're looking at the determination of who will be written down in the genealogies of the book of Matthew and the book of Luke in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world. And these four verses, the great-grandfather of David, King David, is going to be decided, and it's all up in the air. And it's all going to be determined in this sit-down meeting at the, at the gate of Bethlehem. So these two men are very, very important at the decisive history. But there's something amazing about this history. There's something amazing about this monumental history here. And let me just bring it out to you this way to show you how amazing this is. The kinsman in this history is so important. What's his name? Anybody know his name? What's the name of the kinsman who could have been the great-grandfather of King David? Oh, well, we can see his name. In verse 1, he's such a one. That's his name, right? In verses 1, 3, 6, and 8, his name is the kinsman. In verse 4, he is he. In other words, even though his decision determined who would become the great-grandfather of Israel's greatest king, God has buried his name into oblivion. It's gone. Forever he will be the nameless kinsman. All because he didn't know it, but he was being called to serve the Lord. He was being called to serve the Lord by becoming the great-grandfather of King David. He didn't know it. But because he said no and chose to serve himself and his own inheritance, he lost. He lost, and his name and his memory are lost forever all because he missed the opportunity to serve God and all because he, all he could think of was himself. And God had, had such a great opportunity for him. And when he thought of himself, he was blind to the opportunity. He lost because he thought of himself. The kinsman was called by God and he didn't know it. And for his own interest, he turned away from God's call. And his name is so dishonored, we don't even know what his name was. He's just like those the Lord Jesus spoke about in Luke 9.57. Luke 9.57, it came to pass that as they went away, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou Preach the kingdom of God. Another also, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When God calls, as he did this man, we cannot know the greatness of the opportunity. But if a person says, Me first, Lord, and then you, let me first go, let me first do this, then I'll return, I'll, rebate, I'll do it. Great loss, great loss. And all he was worried about was his own inheritance, how it might be marred. And so he said no to God's calling, and what a loss. And the fact is, we don't know his name because it's just like God took an eraser and erased his name. As he said in Revelation 3.5, Revelation 3.5, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. So what we've seen in these four verses are valuable lessons for us. 
We've seen from Boaz of how when we really want something bad, really, really badly, and we do all we can to get it, we need to take step back, give God a chance to say no. And from this unnamed kinsman of how we can miss a valuable opportunity to answer God, to serve God, and not let our own interest cause us to miss an opportunity for something great we can't even see now. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for recording this for us in this last chapter of Ruth. Pray, Lord, that the lessons that you have laid out in these verses for us might stick with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.